be perfectly fine. Fine. Okay, fine. 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 You're listening to Everything is Fine in Southwest Washington, a political podcast where we recognize that everything is not at all fine and discuss what we can do about it. I'm Carissa, and our co-hosts here are Evelyn and Philip. Hey guys, it's Carissa for a little forward before we talk to our formerly unhoused friend and extraordinary mutual aid organizer, Ashley Blose. For the first time at the end of this episode, we'll be including a song from a local Pacific Northwest artist. They're called the Messy Jacksons. Be sure to stay tuned and listen for yourself to see why the song is so fitting for this special episode. We, of course, will share links to the music in the show notes. We firmly believe that we need more art in the movement, and this is our way of giving it a platform. So please feel free to share your sound creations with us to be considered for inclusion in upcoming episodes. Additionally, now that we've acquired a little bit of a following, we'd love to expand listener engagement and let you all know that you're always welcome to share any thoughts, news tips, or ideas for subject matter you'd like us to cover, and we'll consider it. You can contact us via our social media profiles and email, which we'll also include in the show notes. That's enough for me. Now on to the conversation. We hope you enjoy. Welcoming today, Ashley Bloss, our homelessness, houselessness expert. Welcome. <laughs> a, a kind of expert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just Welcome. someone with experience, that's all. Just all expertise is. Yeah. We're thrilled to have Hi. you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. So we all know that houselessness has become a bigger and bigger problem, not just in our little Clark County in Vancouver, but nationwide. Um, and there are many reasons for that. And so we're going to get into a lot of that today. Ashley's, I think, going to take us kind of on a journey uh, <laughs> okay. through her story. I'm Ashley. I, uh, I've lived in Vancouver for a couple of years. Um, and prior to that, kind of all over the country for a while in Florida and Arizona prior to that, um, I uh, do a lot of work with the free fridge here. Um, I live with my partner, who's wonderful, his name is Ed, um, and uh, most of my uh, career experience has been in child care and pet care, and right now I do pet care p- part-time and VFF full-time, <laughs> plus. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, I'm not good at talking about myself uh what else should I cover well so you have a lot of mutual aid experience right um so you yeah. you've uh you've you have a lot of experience being in contact and dealing with our houseless community here I would say yes so uh here in Vancouver um I've been a part of a few different groups that like uh do direct help to unhoused folks, um, bringing food, clothing, toiletries, miscellaneous stuff like tents and sleeping bags and um, flashlights and stuff like that. Um, and I've experienced houselessness, houselessness myself. Um, so it's like a cause that's dear to my heart and um, just kind of feels like now that I have a home that I am helping myself a few years ago, like now when I go help other people. Um, I have autism, so, uh, or I am autistic, so eye contact is not my easiest thing, so that's, I'm just going to stare at the floor for most of my time. Unfortunately, it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No well, I mean, for you guys, you yeah. know that I'm not looking You're fine. You. You're fine. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, I have like been involved in unhoused uh, outreach previously, but mostly just as an unhoused person myself. So uh, mostly my mutual aid experience is here in Vancouver. Um, and yeah, uh, the situation here compared to really anywhere else in the country is just as bad um uh um florida where i lived previously was my last place that i lived kind of long term and was homeless there for a while um there's there's a lot of people there mainly because it's 
easier to be homeless in a warm climate and not freeze to death. So, um, that's, yeah. Um, there, but there's, it's a huge problem everywhere. And I, I've traveled a lot over the past prior to coming to Vancouver over the past few years, I've traveled a lot and seen it everywhere. And, um, uh, yeah, like everyone is struggling. It's not any particular, it's a systemic thing. It's not any particular person or a particular city or particular reason that is solitary. That's not connected to capitalism and the system that we live in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like a big, uh, thing that is a multitude of people, not just individual people making mistakes and ending up on the streets. It's, uh, all over, all over the country. You mentioned this is a systemic problem and there's a lot of times a stigma around houseless people that for some, they, they ended up there um, because of a lack of morality or because of poor decision-making um, that they're at fault. And a lot of times it's easy for somebody driving in their car to their home to see that person and think, you know, you're better than them and to not realize that maybe you really are one emergency or one hair away from that being your reality. And so I think it's important for us to, for you to elaborate kind of on those systemic issues that lead to this, or that's caused this problem. And I know it's a massive issue, right? Once you start yeah, digging, like there's, there's so many layers to the onion, but. Yeah, there's, there's a million different factors, but to touch on the factor of just the stigma and the, um, the feeling that all of us get, you know, even I, I live in a house now, um, and I still like struggle with the idea that, um, I now deserve this. And like before, you know, not that I didn't think I deserved a home, but it was just, a social idea that, people in general who don't have enough food or a home or security, you know, safety, because um, not everyone who has food or a home has safety either, um, that it was their own fault. And that on your mental health is, is a pretty extreme uh, hardship when you're in that situation, that that's as a society, the U.S., um, I feel like a pretty decent chunk of people feel that way, that it's your own fault if you're in that situation. And mm -hmm. people who are not in that situation, uh, myself included again, feel that, you know, like, oh, yeah, I did the right things. I um, got a job. I you know, avoided Starbucks, like whatever the things <laughs> are. The just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that you earned what you've got. Um, and it's not to say that you didn't, but other people did too, and they didn't get to keep it. And um, that's the problem with that viewpoint. And, and also it really turns... It, it not even turns a blind eye. It just puts blinders on as to the actual situation that um, causes homelessness that any little thing could land you in the same exact spot as them. A medical emergency. Mm -hmm. um, most people, even people with jobs or careers that they've had for decades, don't have adequate medical insurance. Like getting cancer can bankrupt you and you could die and your spouse would still be paying off the medical bills um, as they're grieving you. And they'd be like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um so those those types of things, a car accident, a medical crisis, a um, layoff that had nothing to do with your job performance, that just had to do with the company that you worked for, could 
lead to you missing a couple months rent or a couple months of mortgage. And that leads to you not having a place to stay, which, you know, seems like, okay, well, I'll check into a motel and I'll get a a job um, somewhere else or I'll do something else to get money, um, borrow from my family or stay with my family or stay at a homeless shelter because they have those and you stay a few nights and you can get back on your feet. But it's it's really not that easy once the cycle starts and all it takes is that one little domino to fall to get that cycle going for you where you're just sinking lower and lower and lower and you can't get out of that hole. And you as, you know, in the situation that you are then in, as far as not having a place to stay are like, it gets exponentially harder to get out of it because without adequate food, shelter, security, you know, the feeling of being safe, um, for your mental health, it's really hard to think straight. Like if you can, you know, think about the last time you went for 10 hours without eating during the day, cause you were, you know, busy running the kids around or had to work through the day and didn't have a chance for lunch and how you felt at the end of that and how you felt that your brain wasn't functioning properly or that you couldn't drive very well or that you were, um, short with your spouse or your kids or, you know, whoever the grocery store clerk that, that is what homeless people deal with on a daily basis. And it's not just the hunger. It's, it's all of it. Um, it affects your functioning at a primal level and you can't, you can't function at a hundred percent anymore, but you can't get out of that situation unless you're functioning at a hundred percent. So it's, it's impossible to get out and, and, the hopelessness sets in pretty fast, which, uh, you know, a lot of homeless people were not addicts or alcoholics, uh, prior to being homeless, but Mm -hmm. that ends up being the case because there's not really any other way to deal with feeling that way is the reverse, right? That they're, they're addicts or they're alcoholics and therefore they become homeless. homeless. Right. When really it's, they've got it, they've got it. It can't. Yeah. And, and that's not to say it doesn't happen like that, but like as a, so majority, that's not, not, not the case. I was just thinking, cause you started with, if, if one domino falls, say, and you, you know, you lose your job or you get hurt at work or something happens. Medical emergency. Yeah. Anything um, like that where maybe you miss a couple of months rent. You aren't lucky enough to own your home and you rent. And or you, even if you do own your home, quote you miss unquote, a few mortgage but you payments miss and, yeah. mortgage. Yeah. You get and foreclosed you, on. And you don't have that family support. And you end up, like you said, I'm going to stay in a hotel then. It'll be okay. And I'll get back on my feet and I'll find a job. And then that's hard because you don't have an address because you live in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And then you run out of money and you're no longer in the hotel and you have to live on the street somewhere and you find some place you think is safe. But if we think about safety and you've mentioned the word safety a couple of times, and I think it might be important for somebody listening to think about what that actually would be like to think about when you're in your home and you hear a noise and you think maybe somebody's intruding into your home, how scary that is. But if you literally do not have, like there's no point in time where you're not, your fight or flight is not elevated. Right. And even when you're sleeping, correct. Even when you're sleeping, you, you're probably not sleeping very good. Right. Yeah. And especially if you're a woman, you're even more vulnerable. Yeah. Um, how quickly that creates like a paranoid, um, if you no longer have a sense of community anymore, you can't mm. because everybody's a it's potential every threat for himself, for exactly. every person. For yeah. And that happens you out on top of it. You yeah. Know? And then you're there and you're feeling vulnerable and I would probably feel like everyone's a threat to me now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, and I have to be that way to protect myself. That's a mm-hmm. primal instinct we have. And then that leads clearly to paranoia and other mental illnesses, or it could mm-hmm. exacerbate existing mental illnesses that are probably no longer treated because you can't afford your medication. Yeah. And then the logical endpoint, like what Philip just said, is 
maybe you use drugs to numb that shit. Yeah. That seems very reasonable to me. Why I think, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you know, might we be use, crazy not to at that Yeah, point. we use yeah. a couple beers to numb a hard day at work. Right. So why wouldn't you no, use we, we, a lot we, of drugs? We use fucking Netflix or beer or whatever we like. As, yeah. Even, even in places weed. of privilege, yeah, we're still numbing ourselves because work sucks so much. Yeah. Which is a totally different podcast. But right. So just think, I just want people to put themselves, like, what would that actually that's be not, like? Yeah, that's not at the bottom of the hole. That's at the yeah. yeah. Well, and nowadays yeah, like you can you, work a job and not even like make ends meet too. Yeah. Like it's not even like many a big people, life event necessarily. Many happens. people who don't have homes still work full time. Yeah. Yes, and I did. It's hard to get a job without an address and without mm-hmm. a shower and things like that. So when we talk about, um, there's you know a lot of pushback against these safe stay places. What that mm-hmm. provides people like this is number one that sense of security that they do yes. not have. Mm-hmm. Number right. two, a shower and an address and the wraparound mental health services to maybe right. undo some of that programming that's right. every man for himself. Yeah. Like, I don't think and people meals. really think... Exactly. Food. Because you can't function without food. And then but, if you're, you're in this, this spiral, doesn't that just perpetuate, like, how society is seeing you as a threat, as a danger, as yeah, something that he, has to go away? Exactly. I just want people yeah. to see, like, that slide, how that yeah. occurs, and that first domino doesn't have to be your fault and right. it can just There's be a result of maybe you don't live most near your of the time i don't think it is exactly or yeah. you don't have that support like you know i know people who've been in this, that situation but oh they are lucky they have a family or yeah. they own their home and lucky okay i'm going to take out a line of credit on my mortgage mm-hmm. i can get through this i can float this mm-hmm. um that's not something everybody has and so we think about our familial structures as these things that don't really matter, but they are so integral to not falling in the system. Well, and just, there's so many. Things. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, no. Um, no the way the it. country is set up, the way the world kind of is set up now, I don't know, culture. I've never been outside of the U.S., but culturally, like, I don't know if it's different in other places, but it's not, we don't live communally anymore. And. Mm-hmm. You know, people who might have a family who they can depend on and who have enough money to be depended on. Because, you know, if like if my brother were to I have a brother who's two years younger than me, if he were to become homeless right now, I could help him. But when I was homeless, I couldn't have done anything when he became homeless. So it's like you you know your family support is only as strong as like what uh luck your family has too if you have family in the first place so um yeah it's it's like it depends on so many things that are not in your control at all and um just leads to yeah not not having anywhere to go anywhere to turn and the government programs that I think people who have never needed them think they're a lot easier to access and a lot easier to use than they actually are those programs are not adequate at all um there's not enough room in any shelter in any city in the U.S. There's not enough food in any food program in food pantry in any city in the U.S. Um, there's not enough showers, laundry, bathrooms, anything um, for the people that need them. And so to to like go back to kind of the idea of like what would it be like if you landed in that situation. And you kind of think, okay, well, I would use the services that I know that, you know, the government provides. Until you need them, you don't really realize how how many hoops you have to jump through, how much, like, paperwork and red tape. And you have to follow up on phone call after phone call after phone call um, and go to this office and that office and fill out this form and that form to get even the slightest bit of help and to just hope that you get the slightest bit of help because you might not, um, even after going through, jumping through all the hoops, it's, um, it's not, you know, dependable and it's not easy, which I think people don't realize enough. Another aspect is minimum wage. Like we talked about, people can still be working. And as I've, a study done in 2021 
said that a full-time worker on minimum wage can only afford to rent a one-bedroom apartment in 7% of counties in America. Mm-hmm. So you could shit. be working full-time, a hard worker, right? Everybody values hard work here. And you still can't afford to rent, even rent just a one-bedroom. Yeah. So, yeah, many of the houseless people are working. Mm-hmm. They just can't afford. And then, like, we just had a talk with Sartisha about first month's rent and last month's rent and deposits and all those things. How do you accumulate that? While not having a, it's just, yeah, it's, it's unrealistic expectations on people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There was a couple additional details I wanted to cover when we're talking about you get laid off or you have a medical emergency and you miss rent or mortgage and you end up without a house and then you're in a hotel and then you can't pay for the hotel anymore. So then you're living out of your car, which like I always had a car and that's a huge luxury that um, tons and tons and tons of people don't have. Like Mm -hmm. most, I would say most people who don't have homes don't have cars, um, which, you know, poses its own set of huge obstacles for all kinds of things. But um, even if you do have your car and you're sleeping in the car and you're looking for work during the day, you have to go to the bathroom somewhere. You, you know, it's nighttime. You found a safe place to park. There's very, very little likelihood that there's a bathroom nearby. And, you know, Going number one, you can hopefully find a spot where nobody can see you and you go or go and squat or, you know, if you're a guy, you pee um, and that's it. But when you need to go number two, it's much more difficult. And that's kind of not kind of that's a big part of of what Evelyn was talking about with uh feeling um you're in fight or flight all the time and society and and you're paranoid all the time and society then views you more and more as like a dangerous person because of that the same goes for your basic needs of going to the bathroom society views you as a threat because you know, going to the bathroom in public is not sanitary, Mm -hmm. but you don't have anywhere to go to do it unless you travel. And that takes a whole lot of effort and may not even be possible if you don't have a car. Um, uh, And then, you know, showering and all the other basic needs like doing your laundry and basic hygiene in general, brushing your teeth, um, washing your hands, that, that stuff, you know, those things are a little bit easier, brushing your teeth, washing your hands, washing your face. You can do that with like wet wipes and you've got your bottle of water to brush your teeth with. But, um, going number two, like that, there's no way around it. And, uh, and there's not really anywhere for you to do it. And also if you, um, menstruate, there's a whole week out of every month, a quarter of the time, you have to figure out how to dispose of stuff, whatever way you're using to um, keep from getting blood everywhere. Um, and you may not even have access to stuff to do that with. You have to figure out how to deal with that and not have it turn into a gross, smelly mess that people are going to continue to hold against you more and more, just like the rest of it. Like, I feel like people, um, don't think about those things. Yeah. Don't, don't think of it fully in depth. And also, you know, thinking about food, like you may be able to have a cooler in your car, um, and have a couple of vegetables in there that could last a few days, but they can't stay cold. I used to buy ice like twice a week just to keep some of my stuff cold, but it wasn't actual, you know, food safe temperatures Mm -hmm. and, um, healthy food generally needs to be refrigerated. So like you end up eating a lot of unhealthy food. And if you don't have space to store much food at a time, then you're constantly having to buy food, like at a gas station or McDonald's or someplace like that, because you can't, um, 
go shop at a grocery store every single day. That's just not feasible when you don't have, you know, you don't have the money for gas to drive to the store every day or, you know, you feel like you don't look presentable to go inside a grocery store, but a gas station is okay because it's quick. But um, that leads to a whole mess of other problems because if all you're eating is gas station food and McDonald's and, you know, Carl's Jr., you're not going to be functioning at nearly a hundred percent level on many other fronts because of that. And, um, and no matter how hard you try, you know, there's not really a lot you can do about that. You know, ultimately the, the main, uh, fear of you know aside from bodily harm and stuff um is police um that's that leads into a whole other thing about what society how society views homelessness in the U.S. and the fact that it's criminalized almost everywhere and the littlest thing you do could make it really obvious that you don't that you're living out of a tent or a car and someone will call the police on you and you'll get arrested and you'll lose everything that you had. Your car would be impounded. You couldn't get your car out of impound because it's hundreds of dollars. You don't have, you know, any of your stuff anymore because they just took it and threw it all away or, you know, whatever happened. Like if it was in a tent on the side of the road and you went to jail for a few nights, it wouldn't be there when you got back unless it wasn't very good quality stuff to begin with um but all your you know your camping grill and your sleeping bag and all the things you need to actually survive would be gone um so it's yeah the constant fight or flight and the constant need to try to be invisible to society because there's so much hate against you that everything is really can like not everything is a danger but everything can be a danger and a huge one making you lose literally everything um so you have to be really careful um and so yeah it's just i i don't know if there's an end to that thought but that's well i don't i don't think just picking up on that i don't think people realize have the People, and I include myself in this, a lot of people who are, you know, viewing the homeless as a problem, as an issue, as something we just want to go away or be swept under the rug or have the police handle, whatever, don't have the life experience to realize how bad that is. Mm -hmm. Um, What we do know is we can look at that and say, I don't want that to be me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Because we all have this dim awareness in the back of our heads that that one medical emergency, that one thing like you know my roommate had a had a medical emergency in these you know couple months ago or whenever it was um and there's a couple things that you don't want an ambulance to come for you because Mm -hmm. you know that costs you know way too much Mm -hmm. you 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 there was this I, I had to have an entire debate with him before we could even take him to the hospital. Yeah. Like, if he did not go to the hospital, there is a, a decent chance he would have died. Like, he's fine now, but he's, he's like, being, like, so many other people is just being buried in medical debt. And he'll be fine because he has the safety net of his family to fall back on. As do I, as do a whole bunch of other privileged folks. But... Like, we just, we don't, we we get that it could be bad. We just, like, want to keep that in our peripheral to keep ourselves from realizing how bad it could get. Yeah, because it's scary. It is scary. I'm not sure a lot of people actually think that. I think they think, that could never be me. Yeah. I think some people that are maybe more aware do. I think it's like a false sense of security. Correct. Just like we were talking about the the idea of safety, you know, housing and food and safety are things that everyone needs. Most people have yeah. an idea of safety yeah. that, I think if that isn't was... fully based in reality. They just, you know, have gotten lucky to yeah. be yeah. safe. Um, but it's not, I think if it was we're a not knowing... nearly as safe as we think we are. Exactly. I think if it was a knowing, if people actually thought it through to that point, and maybe it's a subconscious thing, then they wouldn't look at houseless people and be like, 
I think it like is a subconscious. That's what I, I think it's a defense like mechanism. Yeah. Be some, yes, yeah. because if you have to acknowledge that could be me, then your whole worldview, everything you've been Has taught, explodes. How yeah. much and easier you have it is to, to say, you know, that drug addict, that person, that exactly. drunk, that they deserve mm-hmm. it. Yeah, they deserve to be where they did, are. Yes. And I am, I'm up here in my, like, clinging on by my fingernails, but at least I'm clinging on by my fingernails. Yeah. And they should have clung on just that much they should harder. Have, they should have yeah. just, like... Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and that's another, like, we were talking earlier about the hell of capitalism. And, you know, oh, yay, I have a 40-hour-a-week job that I hate. And I go home and drink and watch Netflix and then go back to the job the next day. That, that encourages people to hate homeless people because they're like, oh, well, I'm going through this hell and like you know you that's what you have to do yeah, yeah. And, and you didn't do good enough at going through this hellish existence and working for three quarters of your life doing something that you hate and never having time for yourself or your family or anything you actually like that to do is so important we don't recognize how much time work eats out of our lives yeah so what you just said ashley reminds me if i may tell a story from the free fridge sure so the free fridge, we had a fridge that was broken for a while and we weren't sure if it needed to be repaired or replaced. And we posted publicly that it needed that and we needed to repair it, you know, that not asking for help, just saying, we'll let you know when it's up and functioning properly for safe storage. Mm-hmm. And one of our hosts sent us a picture of a note that she found on the fridge itself from a houseless person that explained sometimes things aren't broken. They just need to be repaired and maintained and explained thoroughly how they cleaned the fridge and the mechanisms that cooled it and very kindly did it all without anyone even knowing and signed the note heartbreakingly, someone who wishes he had a family to take care of. And that was like, you may think like what you said, Philip, um, I have to go to work and I'm stressed out all the time and I have to come home and drink a couple of beers and watch my movie before I can go to bed. But this person, all they wanted was that. Yeah. Like someone who, there was two things. Somebody who wished they had a family to care for and something else. I forget how I they signed it. I think it was sincerely someone who wishes he had a home a and home, family. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. it was, that's heartbreaking. Like that's somebody who all they want is to go to work and come home stressed out and yeah. have those things. So yeah, I think that all kind of hit us pretty hard at BFF. Um, it was just, it made it worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I did not know that. Yeah. That was cool. And we wrote a note back and yeah, without, Ever knowing who this kind yeah, person we was. Never knew yeah, who it was. So every person we see as we're driving to the fridge, right? It could be them. Yeah. And we'd never know it. So, sorry, that just reminded me of that because there's yeah, somebody who all that's all they that want. That's an interesting part of the discussion that capitalism. And the idea that everyone has to do the, you know, the trudge of 40 hours at a job they hate, um, you know, or a job that they tolerate even, (laughs) like, even if you don't hate your job, you're like, well, you know, I did want to go into accounting and I'm an accountant, so that's something. Um, It's uh, focused on that certain strengths matter and certain ones don't. And that's absolutely not true. Um, But that's how the U.S. is set up. And this person who um, fixed the fridge, you know, they clearly had a strength that literally none of us who have homes and jobs had. And that's, that's a whole other thing that, that, the talent that's out there that's being completely squandered by us as a society because we're not taking care of everyone. It's ridiculous. Like we all would be so much better off. Like we could be, you know, have colonies on Mars or something Mm -hmm. if this wasn't our setup and it's not, it's not anyone's fault 
who is at the bottom end of it. It's not their fault that they aren't able to offer their talents to the world because they're stuck in this hellscape. And it's also, you know, thinking about that guy, that person writing like someone who wishes they had that stuff and all he wishes is that he could do that nine to five and come home to his family and drink his beer and watch his Netflix. Um, that doesn't negate the fact that you don't feel fulfilled in the nine to five and Netflix and beer and family. Um, it just means that he, that you're a little bit higher than him on the, the pole of capitalism and, (laughs) and how miserable we all are. And, um, it's, yeah, it just to touch back on, it's not, um, it's not for lack of talent or imagination or creativity or passion or any, you know, uh, uh, sort of ingenuity that, that these people and including myself, that, that people end up without homes. Um, it's because the system is set up to only value people who can be good, good cogs in the machine and if you can't be or if you are and then something happens and you're no longer able to be um then you're you're not valuable anymore you're worthless because you can't serve the system um when in reality if it was set up in a way that wasn't just this giant capitalism machine there's so much that you could offer to everyone around you and that everyone would actually get to see what the possibilities are of humanity um because you know we were completely unaware that there was a person who could fix a fridge we weren't even asking for him to fix the fridge and he fixed it like we're assuming it was a him yeah i mean he he signed it like someone who wishes he had oh a home gotcha sorry family. i was just like thinking it could yeah be anyone. <laughs> yeah until the he yeah, i, yeah. I was felt the same way too it's okay <laughs> um but yeah we shouldn't assume gender ever um but uh just yeah the the amount of like how everyone everyone everywhere could be better off um if this wasn't the way things were set up, not just that, that we need to make it so that everyone can have the nine to five that they hate and drink their beer and watch their Netflix. That's not the goal. The goal should be for everyone to actually be able to be happy and actually be able to contribute what they have to offer, um, and benefit those around them because, capitalism has a very narrow scope of what what people can offer and there's so much that we're missing out on as a result of that and we can't see past that as a society we just have all these like politicians coming in who are like or trying to get in who are like let's just let's you know we were talking about like how one of the one of the Michelle Belcott wants to do like more more street sweeping and just defunding all the programs yeah which That'll help. Yeah. It's um, like that's not going to yeah, solve so the like, problem. Just like, to, to put it in perspective, street sweeping is where generally there is some notice, like maybe 24 hours notice, maybe more. And the police come in and anything that you can't hang on to or sit on or, you know, lay claim to, or if you're not there for whatever reason, if you missed the bus back from the place that gives you food so that you could survive, um, so you're not there and all your stuff is there without you, anything that, that you aren't there to hang on to is thrown away in the trash. So imagine you're, you're at your house. And the police put a letter on your door 
You don't see the letter till you wake up in the morning because it was night, you know, it was 10 p.m. when they put it up. And it says at 9 p.m. tonight, like because you're seeing it in the morning at 9 p.m. tonight, we're going to come through and anything you can't hold in your arms is gone. Your entire house gone. And you have to sleep on the dirt with just whatever you were able to hold in your hands and like eat whatever food you were able to hold in your hands and your kids, too. Um that's that's what you're left with and that practice is done simply because everyone who has homes and doesn't like looking at the trash and and tents and everything because there's no trash service when you're homeless um they call the police and complain or they call the city and complain who, who then call the police and say, let's do some sweeps because people don't like how um, unsightly this, this street is doing the sweep like is not only not helpful, it's extremely harmful and creates like more of the problem. It's like, you know, if you were to, um, I can't think of a good analogy, but <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, it's not going to help anything. It's not going to make the people who lived in those tents stop existing. And it's going to make it harder for them to get on their feet and therefore create more of those tents and trash and everything that you're not wanting in your neighborhood or city or wherever it is um and yeah the politicians who think that we should do more sweeps because the homeless people make it look not good in our city it's it's just ridiculous it makes no sense it's illogical to think that you can just take stuff away and that's magically going to make the homeless people go away they're still alive they're still you know Existing, they but still need to eat and sleep somewhere. They're not viewed as people; they're viewed as a problem to be solved. Mm-hmm. They're a nuisance. They're a pest. So, yeah. could we talk about the safe stays and how those, number one, make the neighborhood cleaner if that's mm-hmm. what you're worried about? Mm-hmm. Um, provide all the the safety that we that people are missing. Provide an address, which is something we talked briefly about. But it's hard to get a job without an address. You have to, like, I think you mentioned lie about your address or Mm -hmm. you just don't have one so these safe stay communities at least the ones going up are proposed in vancouver my understanding is it's going to take houseless people from that neighborhood bring them into a safe stay which is uh, what do they call them they're they're semi-portable like yeah they're just like mobile tiny homes tiny homes yeah in a safe area with wraparound services so if one of these comes to your neighborhood I would like us to maybe imagine like how that changes things. Number one mm-hmm. for those people, and number two for the neighborhood. And for all the, you, yeah. So it makes it the neighborhood safer. Those people have safety, so maybe that fight or flight response is reduced a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can uh, get jobs and jobs get and out food of that and, and work yeah. their way out of it with all the services necessary. And then once those people are able to reintegrate into you know other alternative housing then more people from that neighborhood will then occupy that safe stay and it will help alleviate the problem. Yeah. But there's a ton of pushback on these safe stay, safe stay sites. Um, and I don't know if it's because people don't quite understand. Maybe the city needs better outreach. But I don't know if there's any commentary on that or thoughts well, on that. Well, that's the- why it's just strange to me in general because the complaint about the houseless is like, oh, they're dirty because they don't have somewhere to shower. Oh, there's shits everywhere because they don't have somewhere to put it. There's garbage because they don't have a trash can. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, me just looking at it, I'm like, how is that not a good thing? Or what would the complaint I still be? I mean, they're... I feel like the vision for people who don't want this in their backyard is that they think people are going to continue to use drugs and that they're just going to become, like... It's enabling. Yeah, that's that what it's... They, they okay, exactly. so that's, that's the right word. Yeah. And that it will just become, like, like a... De- <laughs> Their oh own, my gosh, like, then everybody could have for, a house for free or a, a, yeah. a no, shelter for free? No, I don't even think they think that. I think a lot of it is they think it's going to become like a mecca for drug use and this is where everybody's mm-hmm. going to come to use their drugs right. and they're going to make more trash here, not understanding that there are requirements for staying in that housing and that that's, that's not the case. So anyone who is 
unsure of a safe stay, I would encourage them to visit one. That's yeah, like anybody who is familiar with the conditions around the YMCA location. Yeah. Now there's been a safe stay there for been six months or longer even. I think it's been close to a year now at yeah. least. Um, and yeah, I was actually going to mention that the the one near the YMCA on 112th. Uh, it was the first safe stay, I believe, and there was a huge encampment there, um, and it's right next to a gas station and an apartment complex, and um, I know, at least just from what I had seen, that there was a lot of complaints from people who lived in the apartments that they didn't like those people hanging around, you know, near their apartment complex or being at the gas station when they go to get gas or go grab a snack. Um, and it was, you know, there was, I don't really know an exact amount, but I would guess maybe like 40 to 50 people living there. Um, so it was a decent sized place. Um, and, the safe stay community, like uh, tiny home community, was built right there where it was a huge problem and people were really bothered by it. And you know the people who lived there weren't happy and weren't in good condition conditions either. Um, I actually, me and some other people, um, contacted kind of relentlessly contacted the city, the mayor's office, and so on to get um, porta potties and dumpsters put in there and hand washing stations put in there prior to the safe stay community existing there. Um, just, you know, so that that portion of things could be alleviated. And it took months even for us to get the city to do that. And um, I understand that funding has to come from somewhere for that, but it's, you know, eventually somebody has to clean up that area of the trash and stuff, the, the sweep, the police going through and sweeping that takes funding too. So it kind of seems like it would make more sense to have the preventative measures in place and put the funding towards that than to have to take care of the problem after it happens and have it keep happening. And the same goes for the safe state community that that community was put up on a site of an existing um, huge homeless camp. And um, now it's a lot more clean, a lot less, you know, scary for the people who live in the apartments. Um, and again, just like a, a situation where the people who live in those tiny homes can actually get on their feet and get out of, you know, um, that situation. And, uh, and then as they do, more people can be helped by it. And so it actually, like, it's over time going to lessen the homeless population by having that stuff there, whereas doing sweeps and stuff is only going to increase the homeless, homeless population. So it it is understandable that people might think it's enabling um uh addicts um or people just doing unseemly things but again like Evelyn said um you know visit one of those places read up about them online um just check into them and like Outsiders Inn is the one who runs them so look at what Outsiders Inn um has online to learn about all the things that they're doing and all the progress that's made from it. And then you can have an actual um, well-rounded view of what is happening as a result of those things existing. Agreed. Yeah. And there's a few new sites proposed that I think would, they're great locations that would really help. And yes, it would help people in that neighborhood to help with the, eyesore that is humanity unfortunately um but also yeah bringing those people back into society eliminating that harm that hurt in yeah. all of those individuals <clears throat> and if you have the ability to support that in your neighborhood um 
I mean, I'd be fine with one in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, it yeah. seems like a great thing to do as a community to care for each other, to help right. care for these people and understand these are your, your neighbors, whether or not you recognize them as such, they're your neighbors. And like, well, and it, it makes the whole thing less scary too, because like yeah. we talked about, we may all have this subconscious awareness that we never acknowledge consciously that that could be us. And so if there's actual systems in place to support people and the community is, you know, working together to help each other, then you don't need to be as terrified of ending up homeless because you know that there's a support system in place. So it makes the whole thing like, you know, more makes you feel more safe and makes you feel like, you know, the the community, the society that you live in is a safe place to be and to be human, make mistakes that won't end up with you living, sleeping on the dirt. Um, you feel, you feel safe to, to try things and do things and maybe take risks and start a business with something you're passionate about instead of doing the same old job that's supposedly secure until you get laid off. Um, it, it just allows for so much more if we as a community are taking care of each other and it doesn't just benefit people who were on the very bottom rungs of, uh, you know, existence, it benefits all of us like massively. Well, um, there, I have notes here. I just want to check if there's anything I missed. I honestly, Um, while you're skimming, I just wanted to note that, um, people often say that like Michelle Belcott is known to say that homeless people are coming here from Portland and that that's a Portland problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Portland, my understanding was Portland developed the safe stay kind of plan. Vancouver was like, that looks good. Yeah. And took it. And Vancouver's implemented it quite successfully. Portland has a different style of um, city government and they've had trouble and they haven't been able to roll it out as amazingly as we have here. Shout out to Vancouver City Council um, and everybody else involved. I know it's not just them. Mm-hmm. So I think Vancouver is doing pretty good and yeah. i hope it continues with support from the public so right yeah if you think this might be a good thing definitely reach out and let your city council know it's something you support and let's move forward with the two proposed i think at least two proposed sites so yeah if you see that people are doing a good job at something make sure know. that you yeah <laughs> try to stop the people who are trying to stop them and try to support the people who are doing the good job yeah um i i just wrote down a few little factoids that um, I didn't want to like go over a whole bunch, but as far as housing costs go, um, I just wanted to note that like this is actual facts that I got online that you can fact check. A quarter of all single family homes sold in 2021 were purchased by investors. That means they were purchased by people who didn't need to live in them. A quarter of them. So, that in itself is is scary because that's what drives up the housing prices is you know if if there's only a certain amount of something available and a bunch of people buy it who don't need it they can sell it for as much as they want to and people have no choice but to pay what they're asking um so that's that's like a big part of our issue of what's going on just with housing in general. Um, And then another thing to note is that um, over 16 million homes, about 10% of all homes in the U.S. were vacant as of the 2020 census. So 10% of all homes that exist were vacant. And there's people living on the street and like 10% is a pretty big number Mm -hmm. for houses that don't have someone living in them. If every street has 10 houses on it, one of those houses on every single street is empty. That's a lot. And, you know, if you think about the eyesore of having people without houses and you think of all these houses that that are just sitting there, um, 
and also housing prices and rental rates have been increasing for years with no correlating change in quality or services whatsoever. Um, wages have stagnated. The federal minimum wage has not been raised since 2009. It's still $7.25. Um, uh, over half of adults under the age of 25 still live with their parents, which is the highest rate in over a century. So young people who would be the primary people getting new homes, getting, you know, renting apartments, getting on their feet, they still live with their parents. And that's the highest rate in over a century. And I think the last time that it was the case was like pre-Great Depression because the great, yeah, it would have been because the Great Depression, I think, was like in the 30s. Yeah. Um, and now it's 2022. So if it's been over a century, yeah, it's pre-Great Depression levels of young people who aren't able to just go out and be adults. And that affects the whole system, affects all of us, that, that people who are becoming adults and entering the workforce and entering the community of all of us can't, you know take advantage of the opportunities that should be available to them and can't contribute as a result of that. Um, and then I also, one very important thing to note is that homelessness disproportionately affects indigenous, black, Hispanic, and LGBTQ people at much higher rates. Um, and those, obviously, we all know those populations are already discriminated against in most if not all parts of their lives in the U.S. So it compounds the problem of not only are you looking at someone who you just want to go away, suddenly mm -hmm. you've got the, the prejudice mm -hmm. piled on top of that to make it even worse. Right, right. And there's so, like, you know, it affects hiring. It affects whether they qualify for loans. It affects um, what, like, opportunities they have just in general, um, going anywhere and doing anything in a social setting. Uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. And so the fact that, that it's not, it's not just that it affects them and you can say, well, it affects white people too. It's that it disproportionately affects them. So I don't know the exact numbers, but say, um, indigenous people make up 5% of the U S population, um, which is low. I think it might be more, um, if they make up 5% of the U S population, and they make up 10% of our homeless population, then that means twice as many indigenous people are homeless than white people comparatively. And that's, that's how it is with uh, all the major um, uh, minority groups that, like uh, Philip said, that it just compounds all of the problems that they face that are like hurdles, you know, we talk about privilege and we struggle, those of us who are privileged, like everyone in this room is white, we struggle to wrap our minds around, well, my life is hard, I have to work hard, I struggle to pay the rent, how do you say I'm privileged? And it doesn't mean that you don't have to work hard or try, it just means that you've had less obstacles in your way to get there, so you still had to try, but you didn't have, you know, you could have a 50-yard a dash, and you just had to make the 50-yard dash, but someone who's indigenous had to jump a bunch of hurdles and go around a bunch of boulders and wade through quicksand and you know for the same finish line for the same exact finish line just to get there and so then when you get there and they're struggling to get there or they finally do you're like oh well we both did the same uh the same uh 50 yard dash so it's okay like you know we both achieved the same thing when in reality it's not at all the same thing they have to try a lot harder than people with privilege and that's what privilege means it doesn't mean that you didn't have to try just that you weren't negatively affected by um additional things piled on top of your your hardships because of the color of your skin or your um, sexual orientation or your gender. You know, like transgender people um, are one of the high rates of uh, homelessness. So just thinking like gender in general, that's, that's one of the big things. Mm -hmm. um, 
Oh, and another another thing I had scribbled down was that uh, just thinking about how if we picture what would happen if we landed in a situation that we got laid off or we had a medical emergency or um, whatever that prevented us from being able to pay our rent or our mortgage and things just spiraled downwards from there because we didn't have enough saved to pay, you know, six months of mortgage while we were trying to find another job or we were trying to pay our medical bills and we weren't able to work. Um, if we think back to the beginning of COVID, uh, things shut down. And one of the big talking points of a lot of conservatives is that business was like murdered by Democrats and it doesn't really make any sense because they are the pull yourself up by your bootstraps like type of viewpoint people. And so it makes me wonder why, why couldn't those businesses have pulled themselves out by their bootstraps? You know, if like they hadn't, you know, if they had made better financial decisions, if they had saved better, if they had done things, Mm -hmm. you know, in a better way, if they had bought less avocado toast, (laughs) then they wouldn't have needed to be bailed out after just a week or a month of, uh, government Fair, shutdown. Short time of a yeah, shutdown too. very like, very short time mm-hmm. you know if you're making a you know five billion dollars a month as a company how do you not have money set aside for mm-hmm. emergency situations and how can your ceos not survive when they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars like every month um i feel like we're teetering close to an entire bucket of worms <laughs> like, I know, okay yeah maybe i'll, we could I'll go, lay no, off of no. that no we no could i just, just go on forever because it's just like yeah. it all it's like capitalism business yes. yeah just everything yes. coming the, together the point is that that if even giant corporations couldn't make it with one emergency thing happening then how are individuals supposed to that's exactly. that's my point yeah, I got a, a little deep with it. No, a no, little for the read. Like, like that could be another yeah. ten episodes. Yeah, right. yeah. so many things. But it is, yeah, very important to point out. Obviously, for yeah, sure. To just kind of think about the the idea of personal accountability being like you know you're at fault because you didn't make the right choices, you didn't take care of uh, looking ahead to the future. Um, and being prepared for a layoff or a medical emergency or whatever, like it literally no one can in capitalism and the way it's set up. And I, you know, I think the big corporations could have, but, um, that's just me. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's just a good illustration of how, you know, everyone like with a single, a single issue coming up just, is knocked flat because this isn't a sustainable system. It's a constant system of growth, which is not not ever sustainable, that you can't grow infinitely um, and continue to make something bigger infinitely. Um, it just doesn't work. It's a house of cards. Yeah, yeah, eventually it's all gonna fall down and and you didn't make a good foundation for it or anything and you're <laughs> <Yeah>. screwed <laughs> riding my bike through a shanty downtown Stolen REI tents. I'm closer than ever to camping out with them if I don't make my rent. Triggers and junkies run around in their undies, but they're not who I shame. And casting aspersions on those whose net worth is just a high score in a game. Got no motivation Exude a bad attitude 
see more rich folks than ever I see more poor people too Well the ones in the middle sit and twiddle their thumbs left with nothing to do They say idle hands get up to no good They're the devil's favorite toys Got no motivation, exude a bad attitude. You think I don't know what's wrong with me? Well, hey man, what the hell is wrong with you? Shock when she snaps and turns her teeth on you. 